Hello, my name is Katie Sando and welcome to the Marketing Forum podcast where we learn about the professional world of brilliant marketers, communicators and creatives. In this episode, I'm joined by the wonderful Poppy Naylor. Poppy is a marketing and fundraising consultant based in Cornwall. She spent 12 years at Cancer Research UK, initially starting on a graduate scheme and ultimately ending up as head of campaigns. She still specialises in the third sector and she works with national and local charities across the UK. We deal with everything in our conversation from Trixie boards. Um, I get a little bit annoyed about ageism, which is a little bit of a detour, um, and how cancer research structured campaigns. Poppy has such an infectious enthusiasm for marketing and fundraising and a huge amount of experience to share. So please enjoy. For people that aren't aware maybe of you and your work, do you want to give us a bit of a background overview on what you're doing now and then we'll skip back into the past and work out how you got here. <laughs> Absolutely so I'm now uh, living and freelancing in Cornwall um, which is how, how we first met which I love um, working with a whole range of charities ma- well mainly charities because that, that's probably my background um, consulting for them so a whole range of things really from marketing strategy to some bits of delivery um, and a lot of I think what I provide for a lot of people is just an, ex- an external lens that looks at the whole suite of work that they're doing and, and helps them think more, more strategically and creatively about what they're doing and what they need to do going forward. So clients I'm working with at the moment are Crisis, the Homelessness Charity, the British Red Cross and UNICEF. So three really great organisations to be working with. And you actually jumped straight into... Um... Charity, the charity sector from university, didn't you? I did. I was really lucky to, to actually have guaranteed a place on the graduate program at, at Cancer Research UK um, before I did my final. So that was meant I could, you know, chill quite hard, <laughs> chill, relax, <laughs> enjoy that summer. But um, it was a brilliant scheme. And well, actually, I should say before that, I think my my passion for fundraising started at a really young age. So probably at the age of about five, I remember being in reception for I think the first Red Nose Day and just being really. Um, of mesmerized by the idea of, of, of fundraising and the you know, creative fun ways to, to to generate money and kind of really seeing that kind of um very kind of old school kind of thermometer of money coming in and seeing that grow and being really kind of passionate about getting that higher and higher um and um had fundraised kind of throughout my childhood throughout my teen years and actually at university which I think was one of the things that helped me get onto that scheme I was fundraising and the university had a big kind of student fundraising group so doing lots of active stuff there things like sponsored eight-legged pub crawl you know the kinds of things that you don't really want to be the person responsible for insurance over um and also did quite a lot of telephone fundraising so calling former alumni um to, to generate funds and I think I really got this kind of real curiosity about um you know, I guess both kind of being purpose-led doing doing things for good having an impact but also understanding why people gave you know what was behind that and kind of really wanted to find out more. Um, so at Cancer Research UK, it was a great scheme, two years, um, four different placements across marketing, communications and fundraising. So a real breadth of learning um, and part of a great, great kind of group of um, there were eight of us on the scheme. And we were quite a force for <laughs> force to be reckoned with, but we were able to just do so much in that time. So, you know, things like we, we thought that Cancer Research UK should have a youth brand. So in our, our spare time, we created one and took it off to Manchester University and tested it and just you know just really great ways to kind of learn and you know some brilliant people to learn from as well. God it sounds like such a great you know some of the graduate schemes I you just feel probably don't provide much flexibility or learning and it's almost just like you're in some kind of um you know 
churn out machine um it sounds like it was actually a really great program in terms of some some freedom and power it was brilliant and I you know I you know it's a brilliant organization we were only the second year of intake so I think the organization was still getting used to it but (laughs) we were yeah we were it was really well structured really well resourced we got loads of time from senior brilliant people we were empowered to we were empowered to ask questions to find things out which I mean, probably meant we were really annoying at times, yeah. but it was such a great, a great position to be in. And we also got involved in everything. So it was, you know, as a charity that, that does so much that so we'd be you know, volunteering at events, going out and meeting supporters. Um, just, yeah, kind of once in a lifetime experience, I'd say, feel really privileged to have done it. Talk to me about, from your point of view, then the connection between fundraising and marketing. So for you, are they one and the same or are they sort of different disciplines, but the same really it's a really interesting question because they're often seen very separately um and I've been in conversations where people have said oh you know you're a fundraiser not a not a marketer and for me they are really similar they stem from the same place it's about understanding people and what what makes people tick and I think you know I'm quite a nosy person I think my my love of both disciplines kind of born out of of curiosity just really Mm -hmm. understanding that inside behind what makes people do what they do um and what's going to drive them to respond so actually you know, a fundraising campaign is very like a marketing campaign. It's creating a really compelling message piece for comms that is, is going to enable somebody to respond and take action. It just so happens that in fundraising, you know, that the product is, is slightly different and often, you know, often not physical in the way that you know, biscuit is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Do you think then there's um, there's lessons that could be learned from businesses in the sense that so. Uh, with fundraising presumably it's much more like purpose-driven so it's you know yeah okay it's a message and it's a campaign slightly different result but people have to really believe and they have to buy in yeah increasingly with commercial businesses and and brands as particularly the younger generations are really they they need to buy into the the whole ethos not just the single product absolutely and yeah the younger generation I know and say that they're they're much more choosy which and you know and they're much more empowered to, to mm. do what they want they um you know they they really kind of investigate kind of where they're going to be spending their money what they're going to what they're going to be doing and which probably links to the fact that there's you know there's so much more transparency yeah. around um around what they're doing in terms of things like social media but, but yeah I think there's so many lessons to be learned so I think it, you know in terms of a fundraising product you're you're um you're you're selling um you're selling change really you're you're identifying a problem creating that kind of belief in in why that is an important problem and you're you're showing you know what you can do to to solve that problem or or create some change along the way so you're you're really having to work hard to um yeah to create that belief to create that relevance and to create that empathy in Mm. in terms of, of, of getting people to respond but you know, but both in terms of fundraising and in marketing overall, it's it's about really understanding that that audience first and foremost, understanding yeah. what they need, what their needs are, how you can serve them, how you can tailor what what you're doing to them in the most relevant way, and, and how you can make them respond. How often, when you work with charities, do they do that kind of initial investigative piece? Because I d- I do think that it is a challenge for SMEs. You know, we don't a lot of the businesses within within an SME market or micro market, you know, they don't have loads of resource to chuck at research. And, you know, they, and I think for a lot of businesses, it's not within their their usual day to day. They just don't do it. Is it is it predominantly research, which is where uh, charities get that um, kind of uh, insight and knowledge 
or is it more just built into the fact that because they're responding to a problem I think I think it's a bit of both and I think in you know for 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 both um charities and SMEs it's about actually really taking things back to basics so there's something about the simplicity of um, you know, a charity that, that is first started up, much like a startup business, that the problem it's trying to solve is really clear mm-hmm. and that, you know, that, that the message is really clear. And so understanding who, who is going to respond to that you know, comes quite naturally. I think where you diversify and you almost start to focus more on the organisation and what the organisation is doing, that's where you kind of lose that relevance. I think in in some ways, I think it's easier in SMEs because if you're, for example, in a marketing role, you're often closer to what's going on, aren't you? So, you know, you're more engaged with with like ops and you're probably around the directors and stuff. So you're slightly more you're closer to what the business actually does. Uh, But then equally, I think, you know, I think there's a danger where you can sometimes forget that you actually need to be really close to the customer. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, as as, as you get more into the mass marketing space, that's where it it becomes harder. Yeah. Um, And yeah, that's where you need to really watch watch what your customers, what your supporters do, listen to them, get their feedback. I mean, there, there are. Yeah, there there are very sophisticated ways of doing that, but I think even even very basic um, things can work. You know, asking questions, offering people surveys. You know, just, it, it's just that that kind of basic premise of listening. Yeah. If you've got if you've got social media channels, looking at what people are posting, responding to that, creating that dialogue, so that you're really building that, that kind of bank of insights. I think there's also something about really listening to, to people who are having that frontline engagement. I always remember. Um, you know, I was in a product development role on, on the digital side in, in one of my roles at Cancer Research UK and we got some great insights that, that were emailed through from um, a young guy that, that was on the on the customer services phones and he it wasn't his role to do it but he said I noticed that loads of people over the last six months have been calling in saying they'd really like to um, give donations specifically specifically for weddings instead of wedding gifts but you know we send them out a donation form but could we do something more customized and a whole new product was born over that born out of that in, in terms of wedding favors which you know, went on to do great partnerships with big designers about those creating a really a really great product that that you know that, that raised huge amounts of money for us and actually yeah you know, it's been something that, that has gone further in the, in the sector and that's just I guess someone showing their initiative and responding to a customer mm-hmm. No, that's great. I completely agree. It's like, um, it, I think it, it's about, it's not about necessarily getting cold, hard data. It's about like a bit of a litmus test just to see, <laughs> to, to, to kind of like t- test the mood. I totally agree that it's really useful to have um, conversations with people that are on the ground as well. I mean, co- yeah, cold, hard data is really important too, though. And I think, you know, we are lucky that we're, we're in a world where that is so much more readily, access- readily accessible now. Although that doesn't come, you know, without without its own suite of problems, I think there's sometimes a danger that there's so much data available that you can kind of get dazzled by it and and kind of lose what that kind of core golden golden thread within it is. So I think it's really important before you even look at your data to really be clear on the questions you want to answer. Sure. You get a bit of paralysis, don't you, sometimes? Yeah. Like even like on Google, I think I remember on the, at the early days of Google Analytics dashboard and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> And it's yeah, you know, it's about really turning that that data and insight into analysis and and into understanding and working yeah. out what those those kind of key metrics um, key metrics for you are. I definitely think though there's an element where most I don't want to generalize. I'm going to most marketers I think do have that kind of curiosity around yeah. whether or not about human behaviour or about like triggering a response or yeah. or just getting people to to like something. Um, yeah. It's 
I think we all it's, and I always think it's because I always talk about it being kind of this mix of science and art so there's that kind of logical part of it you want to see how people respond and build up that kind of ongoing picture over time but there is the the kind of art piece which is the kind of creative lens the mm-hmm. yeah you know, the gut instincts and I think that's why you know, I do think that's why people are passionate about it is it kind of mix of mix of both and it is you know it is that curiosity that nosiness as well uh, for me like it was because um I absolutely love business and it was the only way that I could see that I could work in business but still be quite creative mm. um you know I, I, so you know anyway whatever um talk to me about Cancer Research UK then because you were there for quite a long time and by the time you finished you were head of campaigns I was I mean I know I don't look old enough obviously <laughs> I was there <laughs> <laughs> for 15 years um so I had a brilliant career there and you know um I, yeah it was it was a hard decision to leave I you know could have could have happily grown grown old there but I you know I wanted I wanted to move to Cornwall I had kind of different priorities uh once I had my son and you know wanted the flexibility that that kind of freelance life would offer me but yeah so head of campaigns when I left and campaigns in that sense so it's it's, it's a big organization and campaigns in that sense was around the kind of mass marketing and fundraising campaigns that, that kind of really tried to galvanize the nation I guess around around a particular moment so the biggest one was Stand Up to Cancer which um, is a telethon um, between Cancer Research UK and Channel 4 um, which happens annually started in in 2012 and it's, it's all about the moment in time um, where people really take a stand against cancer and, and raise as much money as possible. Um, Go on sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, so it kind of culminates in the TV show, but there's a huge campaign in the run-up that um, involves people fundraising in all sorts of different ways. I guess the point of these campaigns is to enable as many people as possible to um, get involved, fundraise, take part in a way that, that is relevant to them. So ranging from merchandise to kind of grassroots fundraising, people doing wild and wacky challenges to events to that straight um, straight donation on the phone um, or um, you know, online on the night of the TV show. And and talk to me about then how those campaigns are structured because I I know you mentioned before that like, you actually had a surprisingly short lead time when you first decided for the, to... <laughs> for the first stand up to show yes we had six months between uh, kind of uh, agreeing um, with Channel Four that we were going to go ahead and agreeing with um, the US stand up to, to cancer brand that we were going to use their brands to actually um, to actually launch in the campaign and it was a it was a uh, 2012, so it was a it was a busy year for the UK as well because we also had the, the Olympic London Olympics happening in the run up. So media um, and the public were kind of saturated, so we had to think quite quite creatively about how we were going to launch in a window that that kind of gave mm. us the opportunity to make some noise as well. Um, so I guess two things to say about that. One one was ways of working, and um, Cancer Research UK is a big organisation, as you you know it is very agile in nature. I think there's a lot to be said about um, an organization that has science at its heart that kind of ethos of kind of test and learn striving forwards does I think and um, play a role across the whole organization so in, in, in terms of how people operate how people work but it, it nevertheless as a large large organization you could sometimes move slowly and, and what we had to do to get the campaign off the ground was kind of tear up the rule book and just just um you know, just keep moving have fewer people involved in decisions and um, work on the basis that you know things weren't going to be perfect but we needed to do the best we could within the time frame to get something out there and you know and getting the campaign out there launching was going to be ultimately ultimately the biggest win so there was lots of learning there and then in terms of the campaign itself and kind of orchestrating that um it's really thinking about breaking it into phases and thinking about how you 
how you kind of generate that interaction with your audience. So I think for a big campaign that is, is going to really kind of cut through in, in the public's minds, it's about really agitating them, first of all, getting them thinking. Um, so that, that, you know, that was... Um, yeah, that was about kind of really kind of seeding the messaging that would, would make people think so there was a big um you know we, we were really lucky to be working with with four creative um channel four's creative arm to, to kind of get some some great ads out there to, to create that noise i think it's then about really getting people to identify with the campaign so something's made them stand up and think what what makes that relevant to them um so really really thinking about involving different um, members of the public in that it's then about getting them to take action and then there's something about that kind of culmination and celebration so that's what we used to do with the, the kind of night of tv that was almost the, the big moment at the end and you know some amazing tv with um you know some really brilliant um celebrities involved was was kind of that reward for for kind of the, the kind of taking part throughout so when you talk about the um so kind of like the you're you're looking for the pain points, right? So you're looking mm -hmm. for to 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 generate um well this kind of the yeah the, the, the kind of the the shocking um the shocking stats around cancer were were kind of what we used to kind of create that first agitation. So we had a big campaign about changing the odds. So you know the odds of getting cancer and they they probably they probably changed again since then. But you know but 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 talking about how the odds are so high of, of people yeah. getting cancer. So one actually, in two now, isn't it? Yeah, but actually it's it's up to us to, to change those odds and, and really giving, you know, enabling people to think that actually this was something that, that they could get behind as well. It wasn't just something that scientists are going to do on their own in the lab or that we should expect mm. the government to do. There's there's actually things that we can do right now. So seeding that story. So it was it was kind of shocking with with the message. And it's, it's interesting because I think that kind of one in two message almost almost felt like white noise to, to me because I've kind of heard it so so much yeah. over the last 20 years but kind of I think and I think this is an important lesson to learn elsewhere sometimes the things that you think are obvious um actually the public at large don't know so they can still really resonate and have that cut through and actually they can do that year after year and that's going on a slight tangent but I think that's really interesting to think about in terms of creative because I think often as marketeers we're kind of inbuilt to think about new shiny creative every year but actually there's something around really thinking about the longevity that that some of that stuff has mm, um, sure. it can last a lot longer than than we think it can but so no it was about um seeding that stats making people sit up and think and then saying actually you know that is a big problem but you are absolutely part of the solution and here's how yeah. you can evolve it's um, kind of like changing the story around it as well isn't it because yeah I think you know even if you're aware of the one in two stat it's one of those things that you probably kind of it's a hard um it's certainly with things like cancer that's a hard fact to to chew over in any kind yeah. of meaningful way and so I think that you know these campaigns really help to kind of contextualize and also make you feel like you can try and do something yeah absolutely and I think I, mean, I think looking back to, to stand up to cancer's roots were in the US and it was actually um it was actually the the um it's started by a, a couple of Hollywood directors there, and actually, that one of them, um, one of them had um, been diagnosed with um, breast cancer, and, and really wanted to make a stand, wanted to do something. And she thought, actually, yeah, what can I do? What I can do is get people within the industry together and yeah. make some noise about this. So it was, it was, it was always at its heart being about people coming together to collaborate and make a difference, and you know, using a moment in time to really generate a, a kind of large injection of cash to move move things on so there's something about the kind of time bound urgency around campaigns as well mm. and I think for some causes um that kind of urgency is, is very natural it forms kind of part of the fabric of what they do and that that can really be a great mechanism to response but for 
for lots of causes, that's more challenging. And it's been really interesting over the last year in, in terms of the response to, to coronavirus, seeing how actually for many more charities that emergency mechanic has been something they can test out, um, well, very, very much by necessity, um, but, but that, that they've seen great response from. One of the things you talked about when you first uh, started with Stand Up to Cancer was the, the, the lead time and that you had to kind of be really quite agile in how you developed. Is um, agile methodology, I think it's, um, so personally, I feel like uh, it's, uh, in many ways, it can be common sense. So I think for some people, it they, they just, it's not really on their radar that they would necessarily name it as such. Um, but is it a methodology that you kind of consciously use? So I definitely, so I, yes, it's, so I've worked with a lot of organisations who do, so I've, I've dipped in and out. It's not something that I use on a day-to-day basis, if that makes sense. But I think the premises of it are almost ingrained, is what I would say, yeah. um, which is a bit of a, a bit of a roundabout answer. But I, yeah. No, I completely agree. Like, I'm the same in that it's not as if I've done off, gone off and done some kind of like agile course. Um, but what I really subscribe to is this, is this idea of um, uh, that you can really strongly test through minimum viable product and that you can you can build um, and you can do the things that have the most impact first. You know, it's a lot of those kinds of um and a lot of it is around clarity around roles and responsibilities, you know, really being really be, being clear on the problem you're addressing, mm. you, know, you know, focusing on how you best use people's time, how you collaborate more effectively. It, for me, it is absolutely common sense. Yeah, I'm um, the same. But I, I have seen that kind of methodology absolutely transform the way that teams operate in a really positive way, um, particularly large organisations. Um, and I think it, kind of giving giving people the framework and the release to really kind of empower them to pack on and do their jobs in a, in a really great way. I think mm. it, it's, it's interesting because there's probably, there probably is a, a greater level of ambiguity in terms of working that way, but there's a lot less in some ways as well. Cause I think you're, you're much more defined on what your task is that you know, the, the way of working, maybe coming together very regularly, but very quickly kind of, yeah, there's so much to be said for it. I think certainly, um, with campaigns it's uh if people are, are, are working on campaigns it's a re- it's a really useful tool from a marketing perspective you know I don't know it's like with, with things like software and you know various it's like ingrained like a lot of them yeah do it and religiously but certainly I think it's something that within campaigns it's something that can be really a valuable tool um, absolutely yeah um I know you were joking when you said um, that you don't look old enough, but <laughs> it's actually a point that I really want to talk to you about because I still sometimes find that um, uh, in certain conversations, um, I'll sometimes get categorized, categorized as, you know, young. Um, you know, I was in a meeting the other day and there was a, a young designer who's at least 10 years younger than me. And it was kind of like, oh, Katie and the young designer. And um, I find it uh, interesting, uh, you know, not from an age perspective, but because I feel like there's a categorization around, it's a statement around experience, the fact they're even noticing it. I'm really interested in your take on it because I feel like it's a male thing. Um, And you do a lot of work with boards and we know that there's still a lot of male boards out there. How do you do, how do you, do you experience that? How do you deal with it? Um, 
it's a it is a really good point I think both yeah both the age thing and the female thing I think can there can definitely be um certain responses to that Mm. I think I mean I think being being a freelancer being a consultant is very liberating in so many respects and I think one of the one of the elements of that is is you can really pick who you work with Mm. and so I think that kind of initial kind of rapport that initial creating that that relationship getting a sense of who the decision makers are how they're going to work with me is, is so key to kind of any any project that I take on so I have experienced that I think um sometimes I take it on and take it on as a, a challenge <laughs> and um you know once to surprise them sometimes I would say um I would just you know just walk away from that because actually um if, you, if you're not going to get the, the traction that you need um you're not going to be taken as if you want to be taken then then yeah move on to something else so the way where, where you can really have that impact is, is what I'd say it's a really interesting one because I think um that you can really dissect those kinds of comments because you know you you sort of think like it's interesting that you're even making reference to age so just so I, you know, I think there's plenty of examples of people out there who um, have got old but haven't necessarily gained experience. And there's plenty of examples of younger people who have really accelerated their experience through a number of different, for, for multiple reasons. And I, I'm always interested by any kind of um, age commentary. And I do mm. think it's a female thing. I think it's also a blonde thing because we look younger. Um, and I think not after lockdown (laughs) (laughs) blonde soon to be gray Um, (laughs) but I think that it's um, you know I just find it an interesting where that comment comes from does it come from threat does it come from mistrust does it come from and you know it's it I do think it's something that we should talk about as women because yeah we're especially in the marketing creative space um, I I know it's not uncommon and we are often female um, but um, I think, like you say, it's, it's easier when you're a consultant because you can sort of say, like, actually, what I've just detected is a complete lack of respect. Yeah, and it's, it's really true. I, I can't, you know, it's good to call me out on that comment I made as well because I'm perpetuating the, the No, not at all. I'm not trying to call you out on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm more sort of saying, like, you know, I, I know you're, you're, you're joking, but what's interesting is the fact that, you know, you're aware of it. You're aware of the fact that people um, assume that you, I, we are young. Yeah, so true. I mean, it, it, it's interesting as well. I think there's something about um, starting in an organisation at a junior level and working your way up there as well that that is linked mm. to that. So I think um, I think there's almost an ingrained sense of hierarchy within that within that too. Mm. Um, and it's interesting um, you're moving moving away from an organisation where you've essentially you know you've essentially grown up. I was you know, 21 when I started at Cancer Research UK and longer 21 when I left nearly <laughs> and um yeah it's interesting kind of stepping away from that um to in, into you know other organizations where, where you're known for the first time I definitely think there's an element where it's hard for people who knew you when you were young in, in anything whether or not that's you know a local sports club or whether or not it's a business it's hard for them to see you uh, evolve um but this is one of the things that you know I find it so interesting as well like this sense of um you know, there's a there's quite a lot of theory around at the moment as to you know how experienced are you? We always ask, you know, um, 
you know, come to the job interview, what's your experience? What we don't ask enough of is what's your cap capacity and um, interest in continued learning? And I think there's this element sometimes where, um, you know, you assume you hit a certain late age and you know things. <laughs> and, you know, whereas young people serve to keep learning. And actually, it's... So, um, yeah, it's so, so true, that experience point. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's really limiting, actually, isn't it? And, you know, I think how... how um, how do we really people get give people the opportunities to move forward? I mean, one one of the things I would say about Cancer Research UK is they were brilliant at allowing people to to move around the organisation mm -hmm. and, and you know investing in them to whether that was a sideways move. I um, mean, it was interesting when I left the grad scheme. Actually, I took a conscious decision to take on a role within the digital team because that was a really interesting space to me. Um, but it wasn't a manager role, and everyone was very shocked that I was taking a more junior role. But actually, that move into an area that I could see was an area of growth and an area that I was really passionate about enabled me to move up that trajectory more quickly than, mm. than others who maybe took what felt like the this kind of step up um, more directly. I think that's a really interesting lesson though isn't it because you know essentially what you're saying is it's a kind of I'm going to translate it and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I think what you're saying is, is there's an, you've got to have your, your, an ownership over your own decisions around how you progress and how you learn and what yeah. you experience. Um, and, um, you know, I, I do think that's really important. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you listen to the Judy Blakeburn podcast, but she said, you know, we have to hold within our minds at all times where we're going and our own progression. And, you know, I, I think uh, certainly when there's challenges as, as well, it's about being constructive rather than... Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about that. I have moved sideways, downwards a few times just to get different levels of experience. Yeah, um, but that you were driven by your own curiosity and passion yeah. as opposed to um, some kind of egotistical... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I always try my best not to swear on these and um, anybody that normally works to me knows that I'm a, a perpetual cursor so I'm trying my best. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to chat to you about was your work with boards so aside from my I, you know I probably sound like I've got a massive chip on my shoulder about <laughs> coming across as young but um, aside from that the work you do with boards is um, I'm really interested in it, what how are they how are you normally bought in is that because they've identified a problem uh yes generally so generally it will be um a a quite a specific problem um it, it might be I'm trying to think it's hard it's hard to give examples without giving giving things away um a, a problem that they want to identify and the, the way the board would be involved um is it's normally the it's normally the ceo or the exec director of fundraising that who will bring me in but the board will often be what will be will be the decision making process so i normally normally um meet them in that capacity i think normally what i am playing back is um not just an answer to the problem that they were creating but probably a set of a set kind of further set of problems that they may or may not have been expecting and I think it kind of really depends on what the situation is I think sometimes mm -hmm. people bring in an external because they want they, you know they want to put a mirror up to what they already know and they just want that external validation sometimes they bring people in because they're really floundering and just don't know where to start um so, you know, sometimes they are forced to bring people in yeah right <laughs> so it's, it's a real range of ways but I think um well I guess so my question is more around <laughs> Is it um, when you have to, is it often that in terms of formula, 
your um your listening and then presenting back or do you get given kind of scope to do your own research it really varies so sometimes I'll, I'll I'll be asked to go off and do a strategic review of an organization so that will be um quite in depth so I'll I'll be speaking with a whole range of stakeholders at all different levels to get a really kind of rich understanding of of the problem then I'll be playing that back um it really depends on the board some will work in a really informal way they they might appoint a couple of trustees to kind of work with me in a kind of subcommittee capacity and we might have you know quite an intense relationship over a short period of time to you know working quite collaboratively on solving that problem others will be much more formal and you know be very much a, this is the playback um you know, over to over to you to make the decision so it, it kind of does make depend on the makeup of the board and I you know I think I think boards are a really interesting construct um and you know that there is lots of change happening in this in that space lots more change that, that needs to happen I mean um I, you know, talking about age it's it's interesting sometimes that you you go in and, and meet some of these boards and I am going to stereotype and I know this isn't isn't by any means um you know true across the board but often they are very male um on the older side um and often they don't have a lot of daily you know daily contact and, and insight into into the way the organization is running mm. um and I think that can be really challenging when you are you know you're trying to really kind of dig deep into the organization and, and and share what share what you're seeing equally I've met some fantastic boards who yeah as, as I said work really collaboratively are really um you know passionate about getting to the heart of it and issue and solving it I think it's um I definitely agree with you around the fact that boards can be firstly older male and um also quite white depending on where you are in the country but um it's and I think it's one of those things where you I don't want to you don't want to attack it too much because the fact that they're they're there in that board role it comes from a really good place you know it comes from Absolutely. a point of you know they wanted to help they had some time where I think it goes really tits is the fact that um we well, often <laughs> it's not a swear almost a swear <laughs> that is nothing um I think it comes from this sense that um we think about diversity as being something that's integrated through a business, but we forget that it's not a really diverse business unless diversity is also at the top. Um, and I think what people forget is that diversity isn't just what you look like, but diversity is about, you know, um, thought. You know, have you got people who think in a different way? Absolutely. Um, so it, it is, I suppose I'm asking you these questions about boards because I don't know how you do it. Um, you know, like some, it's it must be really challenging sometimes within that environment. You must have to have really difficult conversations. You do, but I think I think I think when you're so, I think there's a difference between being on a board and having those difficult conversations. Maybe we come come back to that in a second. And actually, if you have been brought in to um, to solve a problem, actually, I I always kind of you know have have my convictions. I you know I will present you know, present recommendations, present solutions that are really evidence-based. So I think it's about bringing that to life. So you'll be conscious of, you know, and I always try, I always actually before these sessions, this is a really important point, we'll always have a quick 15 minute phone call with every member of the board um, um, in, in kind of early stages of, of, of these sessions. And that's to really, un- yeah. you know, it, it's to introduce myself, but it's to really understand what they want to get out of this piece of work, what their current understanding is, and to get a bit of the lay of the land before you suddenly see them 
all in the room together. And that, that's that's um, a really useful um, thing that I, I would encourage people to do. But then then within the session, you kind of you kind of know really how people are going to respond. I mean, it, it depends what you're presenting, what you're discussing. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, there will always be people who are more aligned to different areas of the business and you know, potentially um, going to kind of feel the pain of a decision more. And it but it's about I think it's about always putting um, the organization needs first and kind of front and center of that. And I think in the charity sector, actually, that in some ways is much easier than a, than a business because actually, you know, as long as you're focusing on your, your end mission, focusing on your beneficiary, mm. if you've evidenced that, then actually it is quite hard to argue with that. Sure. I guess as well, because um, uh, like you say, you're able to really focus on that, whereas sometimes in business, I think people don't always have an honest, particularly owner-managed businesses, family businesses, you're not necessarily having an honest conversation because what they might say is what they're driving towards isn't the truth. You know, yeah. sometimes it's much more um, like egocentric than what people, you know, and they're not prepared to sit in a room and say that. Yeah, um, But um, it does make the conversation harder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think listening is really important as well. So it's it's about really understanding people's responses and giving people time as well. And, and you know, I think that kind of a piece of advice for any any kind of contentious meeting is, is always to kind of pick off people in advance and have those one-to-one conversations, not you know, not throw up surprises within within meetings so that people, you know, people, people learn and digest information in so many different ways. So I think it's about tailoring, tailoring to their needs. And um, so it all comes back to people and, and understanding them what makes them tick and, and what they need that you know that's the heart of all of this really it's probably like, being respectful as well isn't it if they, yeah. even though you might not necessarily agree with where they are I think you have to give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes as to why mm-hmm. they've got there and I mean increasingly though I think boards are um being kind of really well crafted and structured so there's you know I think um in days of old um they, you know, people would <laughs> people would be potentially um asked to join boards because of their status or um you know because of a, a position they held elsewhere because of what they they might bring um yeah obviously because of what they might bring to an organization mm-hmm. um in terms of connection and I think that's still absolutely yeah. a valid a valid role but actually increasingly people are really creating proper um you know proper tailored role profiles and looking at the, the skills that they need and the diversity of skills that they need across their boards as you know as well as well as well as a diversity in terms of uh, gender and, and background as well I think that really makes a difference when I was approached to join the board of, of First Light which is a charity I'm on the board of I was approached specifically because they wanted somebody with fundraising expertise and at that at the chair and the CEO at the time who contacted me about that I was I was, I was part sold on the organization and, and and what it does and I was I was passionate about that anyway but it was their um kind of absolute rigor in what they were looking for and actually you know they really um, grilled me around what I could bring, what my experience was, how, how I changed things. Which, but that that was what absolutely absolutely um, drew me to want want to, to kind of join and have that impact. And similarly, they've, they've created a board that has got really specific roles and responsibilities. And that again, you know, that makes it much easier within those board meetings to to know your place and to yeah. you know what you're taking responsibility for, where you can add that value as well. Because I think no one wants to be on a board where they're just kind of sitting there not really well not really no. sure what they're doing you know and I think there is I think when you haven't got that clarity people maybe speak for the sake of speaking yeah, yeah yeah 
that's my least favorite person in a board capacity is just like I feel the need to comment <laughs> it's like you know you don't have to right mm-hmm. um <laughs> so um one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was um so particularly in the third sector what do you see as the kind of common challenges for, for you know for charities and you know non-profit organizations in general but I guess also particularly from a marketing and fundraising perspective yeah so should we put should we COVID to one side for a second let's pretend that didn't happen that's obviously um a huge impact across the whole sector but I think um you know I think it's about um the increasing competition within the space so um everyone is buying harder than ever for people's attention and for people's money and um, so that you know that comes down to, to creating specific marketing challenges which will be the same as any brand that's you know it's about creating that cut through that relevance and um, that belief in connection connection um, in the brand and in the products and really tailoring that back to your audience I think there's something about um, trust in the sector so um, trust in big institutions is obviously something that that has been kind of eroding across the board for a number of years and there have been fair few charity scandals in the last few years so I think that um that transparency is really important um you know and yeah it's partly it's there's a lot of fake news isn't there and kind of cutting through that and 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 really really showing what you're doing we talked about um the younger generation earlier I think they are more choosy they really want to see where their money's going they want to make really considered choices so being able to um package what you do in a way that's relevant to them is really important Um, show the impact that you're going to make um, and show, you know, show the change that's happening in a really relevant way. And that's, that, that is increasingly harder. And it's, it's, you know, it, it's hard to do in a kind of tailored way at a mass level as well, or, or hard to do well. Mm. I think there's something about um, really being flexible in the way you, um, you respond to your audiences as well. So, you know, it, it's about giving people the right opportunity to get involved at the right time. It's not kind of, deciding that somebody's supported you in one way or given to you in one way and then just kind of hammering them with asks for that thing it's about really presenting a, a range of products to them it's so it, it is you know as as with all kind of marketing challenges about putting that 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 customer that supporter at the heart of what you're doing I think there there's also something about um the role of charities o- o- overall and um you know it, now it's much easier to to give directly to a beneficiary because the whole you know the, the whole um shifting technology means that, that that is easier and actually technology as, as a whole is a, is a challenge for um charities it's expensive and um, the kinds of skills you need to really embrace that are expensive um you know and, and for organizations where um where spend is, is so so considered and so so important that that is tough and, and they can sometimes be left behind is there a risk that that certain charities are just going to ignore some of this stuff are you seeing that or are you seeing kind of like a, an engagement in in these issues there's definitely engagement in the, these issues I think um I think COVID has actually really helped that so um I think for lots of organizations there kind of was this knowledge that there was a need to change but kind of no burning platform to do that and I think actually um the last year has really accelerated that and you know challenging in so many ways but that there are definitely some positives that have, that have come out of that I think you know particularly in the particularly in the digital space actually um you know people have been forced to um create new products and deliver their services in new ways and and I'm just not sure they would have got to that point without the immediate necessity to do that I think it's also forced people to really think about their relevance how do you know how do they 
really communicate what they need right now um, when when funds are really tight this uh i think if there is a positive of the like you say the pandemic it has caused people to um rapidly consider the need for digital transformation if you know if they if they weren't particularly engaged digitally or were doing it poorly it's massively accelerated this sense of you know we you're going to get you're going to get completely left behind ultimately yeah, aren't you absolutely I think the other thing it's really fostered which was needed within the sector is a sense of collaboration um I think we've talked about this before haven't we there's you 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 think that um that that, that kind of naturally would happen within the sector and to a certain extent it does but essentially you are all competing <laughs> for, for people's attention for people's money so you know that there is that sense of competition but there has been much more of a focus on collaborating collaborating around uh, collaborating around messaging so mm. um, things like you know a group of cancer charities have got together to talk about cancer as an issue overall knowing that their voice will be much louder as yeah. one than separately and it's the, the kind of thing that you know th- that feels like it's just common sense but um you sometimes need need to be forced to, to, to make those things happen but I think it's interesting from um a kind of um I say customer, but, you know, like donator perspective as well in the, you know, particularly things like cancer charities, you know, I, I don't think you're necessarily going to be like, well, I really support this one, but I really anti these other cancer charities. Yeah. And so therefore collaboration makes sense from a donator's perspective, because what you're creating is this ability for you to support the, the issue more widely. Yeah. Um, but like you say, it's definitely... Do you think there's sort of in some of these spaces as well, there's stuff that the private sector could be learning from the third sector? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I mean, I think there's what are the key lessons they could learn. There's, I mean, there's something about focus. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think comms, I think, is an area for me where the charity sector does com- com- like comms really well in the, like in a lot of ways because they... Um, they, they've set up this process of saying, okay, we're going to have your donation. We're going to keep telling you about what you donated about. And that's something that can be a big gap in the private sector in that, you know, we might, we might just like ping over a load of generic mm-hmm. emails or whatever, but we're not necessarily commsing around. I suppose, yeah, I suppose, I suppose what you're talking about there is, is um, what, we, what we would call loyalty comms. So sure. which that kind of real backbone of just ensuring that you're, keeping the brand fresh and, and you know, building that engagement, building that connection to the brand ongoing so that at the right time for that next ask, people are, are feeling warm to you so that you're, you're front of mind. But I think where the charity sector does it well is, it, you know, maybe this is my perception and I'm not right at all, but it's um, I think where you guys do it well is around the fact that you really hook on to the particular interest or pain point of the donator. So it's not necessarily like generic blast comms, but mm-hmm. it can be quite, it could be quite tailored, you know. And, that's and that's really interesting. So I, th- I think that's, that's definitely a gap across a lot of charities. That's definitely uh, something that comes with people, people want to be a lot better at that. Well, like, you know what? I think that's like you've had some board. great experiences. I know. I, that gorilla <laughs> I get updated about all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do think maybe that's something that's across the board um, because it sounds like it's something it's so easy and actually tailored comms for small and medium-sized businesses particularly it's very expensive and hard to do yeah 
But um, have you got any other areas where you think charities do it really well and the private sector could learn or or actually do you think charities need to learn? I think it's, it's, it's really interesting to be asked that question because I'm always asked the question the other way around. Ah. Constantly as I as I come in, it's yeah, you know, it's what can we learn in the private sector? <laughs> so because because uh, and for me that is things like that, you know, responding to the pace of change. Um um it's the you know it's the technology side of things, investing in in transformation, being adapt, you know, being adaptive, um, all, all those kinds of things. And actually, I often talk about the kind of the comms and tailoring to audiences specifically because I tend to think that in the commercial sector that happens more effectively so that's really interesting. I think you're probably right that it's much more advanced out in larger businesses for smaller businesses you know that personalization and segmentation element you know you you have to have invested fairly heftily into a CRM to achieve that. And that's so challenging isn't it when when you kind of get the level of expectation that people have when they're dealing with their Amazons, their Googles on a daily basis, you can't you can't hope to compete with that. So, I guess um, there's like the the sweet spot when you're really small, where you literally can put a note in saying yeah, you know, and then you've got the the other end. And I think where it's hard is in the middle, where you know you've probably got a load of data that you don't really have enough information about. And I think the other thing with um, with giving um, is that actually you often have far fewer touch points. So often. You, know, you will give once to, you know, to a particular organisation in, in a few years and you can almost be um, forced into thinking from a kind of CRM perspective that that means that, that that person is no longer a supporter if they've given and they haven't given for the next few years. But actually, if you think of people, people's relationship with giving, that might be very, very natural. It's, it's very, very different as a product and it, it changes so kind of widely across people's, across people's life cycle and um, you know, life experience. Mm. Talk to me about campaigns. So you must be pretty clued into the campaigns in the sector and also, I guess, more widely. What campaigns do you think, um, putting aside Stand Up to Cancer, because I know that was one of yours, but um, where do you think, what campaigns do you think have worked really well? And then like, and why, you know, what was the real message that you think was just like, yeah, bang, they got that right? Tough question. (laughs) I've never seen a campaign in my life. Why have I gone blank? Um, I'm trying to think of one that I thought. Will you cut this bit out? <laughs> Not now. Um, <laughs> oh, I've put you on the spot without actually. No, no, and I think it's because I don't want to say the obvious ones. So I'll tell you where I think who I thought think have blah, done really well is the um, in the US of A. So I think, so multiple ones. So the fact that they turned the Met Gala, because that's a fundraiser, you know, so that's obviously started from a little bit of a private celebration and they've transformed it over the years into this absolute, um, you know, the money they must raise from things like that. Um, There's a few examples of that as well, actually, where, and you know, okay, I admit you have to probably be a celebrity, but essentially what you're doing is creating a brand around yeah. fundraising events and it's a, um there's another one where there's a there's a model whose name I forget and she's done a similar thing where she basically you know uses her connections within the um fashion sector and creates a huge event um all of the um fashion labels come and support it all of the celebrities come and support it and I guess for me the reason why I think stuff like that's really good is because they're using 
They're using the profile that they have, the connections that they have, and they're building a brand that people want to be seen at. And they almost are forgetting the purpose. They need, mm-hmm. they need to be reminding people of what the purpose is. Is from your point of view that a good thing <laughs> that you're building a brand and it's sort of I think those I think those ones are quite interesting because they they are probably the majority of yeah, they will raise huge amounts of money, but it will be gifts of ten million dollars or or yeah. more. So it's 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 huge in terms of the sum raise, and I think the awareness is great. I think where they could really um kind of shift the dial is if is if they then had a, a great way for people at a mass level to get involved in a much smaller way as well I was thinking you know like the the AIDS um like benefit that they have mm-hmm. in you know it's another one where I think but you know you make the good point that it's then so okay you've got that but then how do you translate it yeah I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> you still can't think of a campaign can you <laughs> I'm just you know it's what I'm thinking about that the because there's so many different types kind of because I like the ones that kind of really take you by surprise I think but do you mean in terms of their messaging or how they deliver it well how how they deliver it so So, um I suppose I wanted to ask you that I didn't ask you about was around how you get buy-in but I guess you did answer that didn't you yeah when when we talk about kind of presenting to boards so I think that's about it's about listening understanding their understanding of the problem um, their role in the organization and then yeah, for me it's about it's about really evidencing any recommendations I put forward so I really like to talk to a, a, a kind of huge range of people within the organization I think it's important to to talk to people at all levels as well it, well, it kind of depends on what what the problem is but if it's an organizational change piece or a strategic piece I kind of quite often um called in to look at the kind of ways of working processes um I think it, it, it's about kind of understanding understanding the pain the current status and then painting a picture of what what the shift could look like and how to get there so what I guess I'm interested in is if you've got any advice for sort of like younger marketers and stuff and not just you know marketers creators communicators coming through um you know maybe around how they want to be perceived but also how they should be behaving like you're talking I don't mean that in terms of their own behavior but I mean in the sense of you know, like you said, be strategic about who you're talking to and how you're presenting information. Have you got anything where you think, like, God, I really wish somebody had said to me? I think, um, I think it's been being really kind of comfortable and confident in in what in kind of what you know. But I, I think, um, I think it is about building that evidence. So I think kind of going back to that, there's a huge science behind marketing. So. <laughs> So it's it's drawing out the evidence that underpins what you're saying, and then I think it's putting that kind of creative wrapper on it and presenting it in a way that it, it kind of really um, lands well with people. But I think in order to do that, so it is about understanding who your audience are. I mean, I think that's probably the key insight at all levels of this. When you're creating communications, creating marketing, you really need to understand who your audience are and what you know what the product is, your packaging, why it meets their needs. And I think it's the same if you're delivering recommendations or or dealing with people it's understanding what their needs are and, and how you best meet them one of the things you said which I think also resonates is um uh, where sometimes when you're speaking to boards there's issues that they weren't aware of and that you know and sometimes there is issues yeah. that you're they are and um I think you know one of the things I think that um it's difficult for marketers particularly if you're on your own in an SME 
uh, you can end up being siloed off from the business and it's almost marketing is like a separate arm. And, and often what is considered to be a marketing challenge might be a product challenge or a service mm. challenge or an HR catastrophe waiting to happen. And, um, you know, I think it, it, from what you're saying, it's the same when you're dealing with boards is that, you know, sometimes you can you know, lift, lift up a rock expecting to find like a beetle. And actually what you've got is like a, I don't know, bee's nest. No, it's not that is, I mean, the one I always use is, yeah, that you, you, yeah, tug a thread and then you just keep talking and it's, and actually then the more threads appear and you, you suddenly end up with so much more. But I, and I think that kind of honest communication, regular communication, kind of build, building a strong relationship with, with the, everyone you're working with is key as well. I mean, I always, I am um, always just, set out to be really honest I kind of state that at the beginning that's that's the that yeah that's that's the way I work um and I think in those kinds of scenarios when you do end up with like the entire ball of thread instead of just a single one it's not your job necessarily and I I say this as a marketer and as a consultant it's not your job necessarily to make a decision as to whether or not that's dealt with you know if they if the board then turn around or your or your manager turns around and says like can you just push that back in then um that there's nothing you can do about that but actually I think what you have to be comfortable with is this sense of um you know I'm not going to take on this problem yeah I think that I think that's really true I think though one thing I've definitely learned is you know people do love a problem solver that's something that can really help move you forward so I think I think it, it might not be your solution to own but I think think coming prepared with ways to attack a problem or solve a problem um, can stand you in really good stead I think there's something for what you said before though about really making sure you're clear on what your role is so you talked about actually it's not a marketing issue it could be a product issue or a service issue and I think yeah not being afraid to say actually yeah yeah, this is what I can do about this but but in order for that to to really shift actually Mm. this needs to happen over here and this needs to happen over here and you can do that in a really um, you know, in a really open, supportive way. So, you know, I think it is about you know, going back to what we were saying about that kind of agile approach as well. It's about being clear who does what and how how those roles fit together. I just I th- think, I think it, go on, sorry. I was going to say, I think it can be really hard when you are the lone marketer in an organisation. Um, really, really hard because um, you're somehow seen as the kind of fluffy bit on the side often, but also you're seen as the solution. <laughs> to loads and loads of problems so I think I think being really clear on what that role what that role of marketing can play for that organization and you know I'm picking exactly what it can do at a certain point in time and maybe what the journey is to 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 kind of how you how you grow that function and and how that can look long term is really clear I think enabling people to understand that roadmap so you know the fact that they're not necessarily going to see immediate change then actually there's a lot of test and learn involved Mm. in marketing there's the kind of there's the kind of basic level of the kind of foundations but then there are so many layers on top of that it, it's really helpful and you know, finding a person or people within the organization that, that really understands that I think that's the thing isn't it is like you've got I think you're not necessarily going to go into a business as a marketer and be used in the way that we should be used you might like you said we we, we sometimes are like the the add-on on this side but there's an education that you know that you can deliver as that marketer to the business saying you know not just demanding more respect and budget but essentially 
demonstrating how marketing should integrate with a business. And although that you can spot issues with, for example, service or a sales process, that doesn't mean that you are single-handedly going to be able to, you know, I often think of all this stuff as it's like a jigsaw, but when you move yeah. a piece, all the other pieces move. You know, that's a business, <laughs> business, uh, businesses and, you know, charities alike. Um, they're an interwoven mass, aren't they? Yeah. So, I think, I think, I think something that can be really helpful in that is, is really, um, enabling people to see what good could look like so I yeah. think bringing in examples is really helpful um, mm. and I think also um you're looking looking to a competitor that is doing well and almost doing an audit of their marketing and then doing an audit of yours can be a really great comparison exercise to bring to life you know to bring to life for people sure I really yeah completely agree a bit of competitor analysis mm. um I also think don't be afraid to bring out bring in outside resource like don't be afraid to say um, okay, I'm not getting my point across. Um, who could help me get my point across? Or... That is such a good point. And I think, again, it, as, a, as a consultant, as a freelancer, I think you can often feel like you have to kind of prove your worth, you have to know everything. But actually, um, one of the things I've done right from the beginning is collaborate, bring people yeah. in, bring in the experts. You know, if, if, someone, if someone is better at something than you, bring them in <laughs> it will only stand you in good stead and um you know, I, yeah absolutely I'm so the I same think. I flat refuse like I'll literally say I can do this bit for you but I can't do this bit but I know who can um because I don't want to get the reputation of being like a bit of a like player yeah absolutely no I think that. That, I think that kind of um kind of self-awareness kind of authenticity in what you do is so important yeah um, and I think we don't have to feel like we um are like a single-handed problem solver like there's this stuff is complex and I think that's what business is complex marketing is complex like you said it's this weird co- collaboration between science and art you might be really good at the science but struggle with the art and vice versa and so and also it's you know it's, it's an evolving it's an evolving industry yeah. it's changing all the time um, and you know you, you kind of want to keep keep fresh you bring in new insights bring new learnings and look going back to that diversity point we will have a certain view of, of a situation and I think you need you know that that diversity of, of, of views when you're looking at your marketing as well I mean that's why I think something like the marketing forum is is great because what you are really doing is creating space for people to connect discuss these issues and um, I miss I miss your in real life events but hopefully they'll be back soon I know <laughs> I sort of miss them and sort of don't because they're a real nightmare. But, um, but I mean, that's literally why I wanted to start it because I was, I was the lone, you know, 23 year old marketer in a business where I was like, so what does a day's marketing look like? I didn't know. My manager didn't know. And the business didn't know. So, you know, I, I was talking to my friend about it the other day. If I hadn't met, if I hadn't been lucky enough to to um, have a role that required me to do some networking, I wouldn't I wouldn't have met the people that were doing the same as me, experiencing the same problems. And we just, you know, we all probably would have, I don't know, been rubbish. No, I mean that's another good point. You asked for kind of any advice to to younger people, and I think do reach out. Um, I think you can. Have this real fear like even about connecting with I know. senior people on LinkedIn but I reach out ask people for advice ask people for coffees and people mm. are really flattered generally by that and people 
people like to help and there's there's you know there's there's brilliant networks of people that are just keen yeah. to share what they learn share what they know and 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 help I do it now I literally I will if I find somebody interesting on and I think that you know it, what they're doing resonates with me I'll like dm them on Instagram you know and I'll be you'd be surprised at the number of people that would that, that are prepared to to share and have a conversation and you know have a zoom yeah. where you're like I just liked what you do so I just thought yeah. we could talk about it I do the same and actually this is a slight tangent but I think that is what a lot of charities do really well is involve um their supporters or their service users in um in kind of co-creation of their their comms and marketing so they will have groups of supporters that they you know, they share the creative process with to really make sure it resonates um oh yeah that's good and I think yeah I've seen I've seen some really great and unexpected insights come from from doing that so things that you just wouldn't have spotted unless you went through that process mm. so kind of like user groups yeah you don't do enough of that in um there's no time that's a problem <laughs> we need to get this thing live don't ask anybody what they think of it um <laughs> poppy thank you so much for joining us pleasure thank you for having me let me know when you think of a campaign that you like <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Marketing Forum podcast. If you are not already, please do like and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media or subscribe to our mailing list to find out more about episodes coming your way soon.